Hear the word of our Lord from Matthew chapter 26, beginning in the 26th verse. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Now, where did our Lord Jesus institute the sacrament of the Lord's Supper? Was it in a nice, pretty cathedral? Was it in one of those onion-domed, gigantic churches with tons and tons of gold overlaying everything? Was our Lord Christ standing in front of a wall of icons? Or in some nice wooden First Methodist church out there in Tennessee? No, he did it in a house. Let's rewind and go back a few verses here to Matthew chapter 26, verse 17. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man, and say to him, The teacher says my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. I'm sure that there were many synagogues in Jerusalem at the time that had some sort of Passover service before people came back to their homes to complete the various ceremonies and everything associated with Passover. But our Lord Jesus chooses a house for this feast day. And then he chooses a house for the institution of the Holy Sacrament of the Eucharist. Now is our Lord Jesus the only one that performs religious duties in a house? Of course not. If we look here at Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 36, Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. So the apostle goes to somebody's house to provide spiritual care, even miraculous care. They don't bring this woman's body to a cathedral. They don't bring her body to a brick-and-mortar church. But instead... They're in a house to receive the pastoral care, even healing, that they need. And from this house, something happens that brings many to the faith.
Let's read into the next chapter here, Acts chapter 10, when St. Peter has the vision in which God says, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. What God has made clean do not call common. Let's start in verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he arose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit any one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? 
and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. St. Peter goes to a man's house to preach the word concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he commands that baptism should take place in that house. So we have our Lord Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper in a house. It is acceptable for the Eucharist to be received in somebody's home. We have St. Peter baptizing people in somebody's home. We have the word preached to people and pastoral care being delivered in a house. So word and sacrament performed in somebody's house is completely legitimate to Holy Scripture. The Council of Jerusalem held in Acts chapter 15, probably about 51 or 54 AD, where do you think they held it? Was it at some grand building? Was it at the conference center at Jerusalem? Or was it in a place that was private, where people could hash out these issues? Was it a place that felt a little bit too small? Yes, it was probably a house or an inn. This is not to disparage brick-and-mortar churches. I attend a brick-and-mortar church. But we must recognize that God has, in the past, seen fit to perform word and sacrament ministry in houses, and even to do amazing, powerful things just from people's homes, like announcing to the world by the Holy Spirit that, yes, Gentiles are accepted into the body of Christ, into our Lord's Israel. And we should not be surprised that this is acceptable to our Lord. After all, there was a point in which the church was in the catacombs, literally hanging out among the dead in order to receive a valid sacrament. So, should you have a house church? I'm not going to tell people one way or another, but I will say this is very much a necessary part of being a Christian today, is being ready to go into the proverbial catacombs, to have a catacomb synod at the ready for all Christians to still enjoy word and sacrament. What are the situations in which this is necessary? For one, if you have no church. Now, surely, that's not talking about buildings and quote-unquote congregations. There's a dime a dozen professionals out there claiming to be a priest or a pastor, and there's a bunch of people out there with that guy in his building saying, we are a church. But how many of them are truly churches of our Lord Jesus Christ? Here from Revelation chapter 2, our Lord Christ's letter to the church in Ephesus Starting in verse 2, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you were enduring patiently, and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first, If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Removing lampstands. If Christ removes a holy lampstand in heaven from a church, they are no longer a church of Jesus Christ. 
Period. End of story. That is not a church, according to our Lord Christ. If the only congregations around you are liberal congregations with the theology of Boltmann and Moltmann and Ferda just corrupting everything out of their mouths, or they refuse to have ordination rites that respect what St. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that is not a church. At some point, Christ removes the lampstand, and it's just an organization wearing a costume that says Christian on it. Do not attend those churches. I guarantee you there is only but a slim chance that the Holy Spirit still moves within them. And guess what? It might even be conservative. It might even have people, quote-unquote, discerning. Don't be fooled just because there's some online personality that makes a living telling you that Kenneth Copeland is a heretic. Ooh, ah, that doesn't make them a Christian. That does not make their church a Christian church. They must still be avoided if their doctrine is all kinds of screwed up. And in such case where there is no church near you, it's time for a house church. Because you still hunger and thirst for the word of God, for right preaching according to law and gospel. You still need the sacrament. Your children must still be baptized. And beloved... Such a house church is acceptable to God. Now, maybe you could tell me, a pastor, I love my church. I love my congregation. I love my pastor. We're all fine. And that's fine. Great. Good for you. I am happy for you that you can go to the normative brick-and-mortar church where you receive the sacrament, where you hear the word of God rightly divided by a faithful pastor. I should hope that your denomination does not apostatize. Because Lord knows, there are some right now, especially in Lutheran circles right now, where they are infested with false teachers. There is a confessional Lutheran body that recently had one of their pastors come out in drag in the sanctuary. He gave his congregation a drag queen show. I suppose he should count himself lucky that they removed the altar from the chancel in order for him to put on his little performance. Now, I'm sure there's a part of him that meant that to uh, insult our Lord. I would rather prance around in this sanctuary for an earthly, lusty performance for my congregation. But I'm sure that if he had done this with the altar, God probably would have struck him down right then and there on the spot. But that's a confessional Lutheran body that tolerated this. And when called out, they tried to sweep it under the rug. We have theologians right now that can't articulate a real theology regarding the presence of Christ in the Eucharist. We have serious issues right now in big Lutheranism that are leading many to believe that you can't trust your pastor. You can't trust your congregation, even if there is a label there or an association on their website with a confessional body that is no guarantee that the church itself is faithful. And if the congregation around you goes bad, it's time for a house church. It's not time to go over to a Baptist church. It's not time to become a Presbyterian. It's not time to go become a Roman Catholic or uh, swallow your pride and go over to the ELCA church. No, it is time for a house church where you can have a faithful Christian 
life and be truly fed by God's word. So if there are no churches around you, it is time for a house church. If your church is going bad, if your denomination is in the middle of a civil war, or you are in the middle of a congregation that is presently apostatizing, it's time to set up a house church. In fact, you should be ready for that even if your church is good. By all means, under normal circumstances, we should all be making the drive out to our local church, rejoicing that God has fed us through that body. That is normative, sure. But you still need resources in case that changes. In case your beloved pastor retires and the new guy that comes in from the warped, bizarre seminary out there that's been teaching, you know, just some Seminex stuff on the down low. Yeah, you're going to want to be ready for it. And there's a, another reason you might want to be ready to have a house church. Because there could come another time in which you are barred by law enforcement from attending church. For two years, in my country at least, we had many spots where gathering of Christians was made illegal. There were pastors that were arrested for having church. There are entire countries, whole nations right now, in which you are not permitted to go to church. Because maybe somebody will get sick or something. Are you going to really allow your spiritual life to die or to be damaged because you can't go to church physically? Are you going to accept second best saying, oh, well, you know, what I could do is maybe watch some YouTube videos where some self-proclaimed uh, prophet or something tells me what season we're entering into in the church. Uh, maybe I'll watch a sermon here or there online and call that good. Or are you going to fend for your family and say, I am ready for another lockdown? I am ready to read these transcripts. I am ready to have a home liturgy. I am ready to stand there and through the process of rite vocatus, through which one is ordained to perform word and sacrament, to be there for my loved ones, or if unqualified for administrating word and sacrament, at the very least being a leader for your family that arranges for such to be the case being willing to run a service, but making contact with those who can bring the sacrament. We can stand ready. We can, by the grace of God, bulletproof the Christian life and say no to the threats of degradation of our church bodies, to say no to the apostatic congregations all around us and to tell the state very well you're going to shoot me if I go outside or you're going to arrest me but I am going to have church at home thank you very much and you cannot stop me that is the place of house churches a wonderful tool that God has put in our toolbox that he has blessed us with to prevent the world from turning us into victims now, unfortunately, people have tried this before and failed. I would wager that most house churches fail, and they fail miserably. Why is that? Mostly because your average guy trying to lead a house church 
has no resources to go out there into seminary land and learn Greek and Hebrew and learn his church history and learn proper dogma, to have spent the blood, sweat, and tears to become the kind of minister that can handle church life in this 21st century. I have, though. I have spent five and a half years in Christian education in hard poverty during that time. I am an ordained minister, and I am here to help out your house church with sermon manuscripts. We're going to have liturgy posted up very soon for those who run house churches. You don't have to worry about penning a perfect sermon. You do not have to worry about having a transcript ready or formulating a liturgy or having any of that stuff all at the ready. I'm happy to provide it so that we can have a house church movement that is different in the way it ends up than in the past. We can have a catacomb synod where yours truly provides all of these things, and then if there are issues that a leader of a house church, whether deacon or lay leader, cannot solve, well, you can feel free to email me. Get in contact, very underscore Lutheran at tutanota.com, and I'm happy to provide counseling and assistance from there. That's one of these blessed things about technology. God has allowed me to serve you. And 100% free, by the way, there have been attempts at house church movements and home ministry stuff where you have to pay for a subscription to have tapes or VHSs sent to you so that you can have church every Sunday. But that's money. During these hard economic times, it is twice as shameful as in the past to paywall God, as the stone choir guys call it to start charging for the graces that God has given us in his word. You're not going to find a man who commits simony with the very Lutheran project. To the contrary, I have to live below my means because we run on donations from people such as yourself. If you are willing to support, by the way, to support us financially, that would be at verylutheran.biz. We have links and an address for anybody who wants to help me continue this for the sake of the church. And for those who have been donating and supporting, I am extremely, extremely grateful for your support. Let me tell you right now, you are honoring our Lord with this. Now that said, next week we're going to go over the basics of how this looks. How does this operate? How does one start a house church? How does he run a house church? How do we have the normative Christian life? And over this week and next and in the weeks to come, I'm going to be adding resources to the website for anybody to use so you can continue on with a normal church life, with the sacraments, with liturgy, with right preaching, dividing the word of God properly, and so forth. And by the way, those certifications for those who are a little bit more hesitant to just take the mantle of deacon, those are also going to be free. And if anybody is interested in that kind of training, I provide that for free as well. Just send me an email, very underscore Lutheran at tutanota.com. We are here for you. We are here for the body of Christ, and we are here to serve. And until next week, our Lord bless you and keep you. May he defend his church vigorously and toward all purity. Amen and amen.